continuing with eternity in their hearts and uh, a quick review what have we who have we covered so far I got to look in the book oh yeah Mars Hill <clears throat> that was the first week uh, we covered those folks at Mars Hill and then then anybody remember then oh yeah the Canaanites with Melchizedek and then last week was an interest. I, th I think I'm having just as much fun kind of studying these people groups. I, I don't. I don't know. It's interesting, I guess. Uh, the Incas and uh, the South America there, and and um, how God prepared their hearts. And uh, you know, I think, and I've not. I've, I'm just going one chapter at a time. But uh, really, it's not really preparing their hearts. It's preserving their hearts. Because everything that these uh, people groups have, have known is what they've been passed on and what they've been told. So um, that's interesting. Well, we're going on the other side of the world from the Incas today. And I found that, let me give you some, some interesting, interesting statistics on this people group and these people. This, this one's a little more interesting because the ones we've looked at so far, they're all like dead and gone. You notice that? Like the Incas dead and gone. Uh, the people at Mars Hill, kind of dead and gone, and, you know, way, way old people. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to look at these people from 18, let me look it up real quick, 1867, so gosh, just like a couple weeks ago, right? <clears throat> this country is the third largest Muslim population in the world. This country is also the eighth most populous country in the world. It's east of India, west of Myanmar, and south of Nepal. What country am I? <laughs> Your geography's rusty. That area, that side of the world. Bangladesh. Bangladesh. That's not a country you hear about very often, is it? And uh, I tried to find a little YouTube video, a little short clip for us with like facts and information and stuff, and I found a couple, but I thought, man, there's not a whole lot on Bangladesh. Like, I, I don't really like Thai food, so anybody like Thai food? I think you love Thai food? Well, you probably know more about Bangladesh than we do. <laughs> I, I did find this, that its name is short translation or whatever for Bengal. That's where the Bengal Tigers are in Bangladesh. Um, there are six, this is interesting, 64 indigenous people groups in Bangladesh. So like 64, you know, we talk about, and that's kind of funny when you're talking about that side of the globe. You know, we, we talk about indigenous people here in, in the United States, and we're like, okay, 300 years ago. Anybody that was living here three, 400 years ago, they were indigenous people. Same way with South America. But how they know who the indigenous people in South America, or I mean in, in, in Asia, how do they do that? Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the straw? <clears throat> so there's 64 indigenous people groups with 35 different languages. That one country. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, they, half of the population are farmers. Um, shoot, I, I thought I wrote down the 100, 100, uh, 160 million people, I think, is the population. So half of the United States, um, 
Is that what it was? Let me pull up Wikipedia here real quick. I think that was where I got some of this stuff. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> glad you asked because I just found that. <laughs> 56,000 square miles. So fairly small joint. Um, yeah. Population. Here it is. 162 million people from 2016 census. So, well, it's close. Whew, I'm glad I got it that, guessed it that close. Um, I, I also found this, that only one in five people have bank accounts. I don't, it was just a weird statistic, to, statistic I ran across. Um, and they drive on the left side of the road. <laughs> well, but, you know, that that's kind of interesting. If... if if you, if just like Ohio, <laughs> um, every every nation, country um, west of Israel, we write left to right, and nations on the east of Israel, they write right to left, and they typically drive on the left side of the road, except for the Europeans, uh, but not all European countries. So that's kind of. That, that wasn't in the book. That's free. Um, so half the population is farmers. They are the second with even that small of population and that small of land mass. Uh, they are the second largest producer of textiles behind China. Um, and rickshaws are the most popular form of transportation. Did you say 59. What did I say? Total area, 56,980 square miles. It's the 92nd largest country in the world. Do you know how many people that is per square mile? Uh, 2,880 square miles. 2,000 people per square mile, so that would be... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's interesting because if from from what few YouTube videos I could see, it was like... It's almost like everybody farmed. Like, and when you're talking about farming, you know, we're thinking a couple hundred acres. But there, it's like you're, you don't mow grass. You raise rice in your front yard. So, like, wherever you have a spot, that, that's, that's where you farm. That's what you raise. <laughs> he's, he's baffled him. That's a lot. Crowded. Yeah, crowded. <laughs> almost as bad as the Sour Cup Festival, yeah. Um, oh, here's another interesting tidbit. I don't know why we. I, I just. I, I. I guess it's not. It's kind of one of them not very well known places. Bangladesh. You just. I don't think anybody has ever done a report on it in school. Um, there. Uh, and this is interesting too because it's also known as the nation of rivers. So put that many people and then throw a bunch of rivers on it. And also, <clears throat> they have the largest bay in the world. <laughs> so, but I guess that doesn't count for the landmass, but still. Um, what was kind of other interesting fact? Um, I don't know, crazy, crazy, uh, crazy uh, country, basically, that we just don't hear a lot about. <clears throat> so, okay, this, <clears throat> this pertains to our study tonight. Eighth largest population in the world, third largest Muslim population, 87% of the people in the country are Muslim. 
are Hindus, 1% are Buddhists, Buddhists, and here's the one we're going to talk about tonight, 1% Christian, 1% Christian people. Uh, The country has a pretty interesting, um, a pretty interesting history as far as, as far back as I dug. and, and, of course, I found something on the Stone Age 20 million years ago or something like that. Of course, they were infiltrated in the, in the by Islam. And uh, then the British Empire in the mid-1700s, um, of course, took them over, just like most of India and so on and so forth. And then uh, they declared... Their independence, and of course they have an independence just like we do, and I forget the exact dates of that. They had a civil war, so um, very, very similar. Uh, here's, here's, here's the independence. Uh, oh, wow. 1971, when they declared their independence. They declare their independence from... Oh, Pakistan, that's right. They, they do not get along with Pakistan, <clears throat> which Pakistanis like Thai food too, I think. <clears throat> but, yeah, they, they do not get along with Pakistan. So in, in 1971, they declared their independence from Pakistan and so forth. But, but a country that small with that many people, 64 different people groups and 35 different languages in one country, that, that, that's what kind of blew my mind. <laughs> So, let's get to the the rest of the story like that wicked Paul Harvey says. Um, Now, I had to nickname some guys again. (laughs) This book has been one of those books. Very interesting. In 1867, a bearded Norwegian missionary named Lars Skrufsrund. Lars and his Danish colleague, a layman named Hans Borison, found two and a half million people in the region of Bangladesh called the Santal, living in, a north, living in the northern region of uh, uh, this, this area. <clears throat> so they were missionaries uh, from Europe, Norwegian and Danish uh, missionaries that um, has, has anybody like you know we don't have a whole lot of well I don't think we've ever had a missionary come through here maybe one of these days we can we can afford to support one monthly <coughs> we barely get our bills they're, they're just there they're there are, are they still there okay they're paid he said he said January is going to be really tight close so they're paid <laughs> Um, but if you've ever heard a lot of missionaries, it seems like there's a lot of missionaries I've, I've recalled here, and they'll say, well, we're, we're called to the indigenous people group of such and such place. And I think in, until really thinking about this this week, why that is so like specific and important. Um, these indigenous people groups that are in Bangladesh are basically living in, living in a country with 160 million people living almost in solidarity. Alone. Uh, somebody help me out. <laughs> uh, closed off to like modern 
off the grid kind of, yeah, that deal. Um, so the, these people groups, because they, they often speak a different language and they have a different culture and they have a different everything, um, they, they're just kind of separated from the rest of the people. And wouldn't you know it, current modern events that is going on in Bangladesh currently, right now, um, last fall and into today, this people group that we're talking about, the Santals, Santals, That's prob I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. The Santals um, are being driven out of their homes as we speak. Um, I, I saw a couple current uh, news interviews with people. Um, one of them was on, what's that news channel on, Channel 16 that's on at 7 o'clock? The World News Report has different. BBC. BBC, yeah. BBC World News Report had an indie um, broadcast from India. You know, that was interviewing some families and stuff from that was from the Sinti tribe, and, and they're basically being kicked out of their, their homes um, because the, the Bangladeshi government is claiming it for their own. So they're having a, a modern-day uh, invasion of, of people's personal property over there right now. And so that makes me ask the question, hmm, I wonder why that is. I bet it has a, something to do with this. <clears throat> so, Lars and his pal Hans, that's what we're going to name them, that's their names. I wish the author of this book would have used their first name throughout this chapter instead of their last name. Uh, soon proved himself to be an amazing linguist, this, this Lars did. He quickly became so fluent in Santinal that people came from miles around just to hear a foreigner speak their own language. So uh, apparently the Lord had given this Lars a special talent for picking up foreign languages, and he spent some time with these people and picked up their language and basically mastered it. And as soon as possible, Lars began proclaiming the gospel to these people. So as soon as he understood their language, uh, he began to, to explain to them the gospel. Naturally, he wondered how many years it would take before the people were open to understanding the gospel and not only understanding it but uh, opening their hearts and receiving Jesus Christ because they were so far removed from any Jewish or Christian traditions. They're just so isolated over there. They have, have no, no influence at all. Would they ever show interest in the gospel, let alone open their hearts to it? So Lars' utter amazement uh, when... Uh, the sentinel people were electrified, is the exact words that he used. Um, almost at once by the gospel message. At length, he heard the, the sentinel sages, including one named Colian, explain what, is the what the stranger is saying must mean that... <laughs> think a Thinker Jew has not forgotten us after all this time. <laughs> so can you imagine this, this Norwegian, European, bearded missionary talking to these indigenous Indians, Indians in India, basically, is what we're talking about. These are the people that Christopher Columbus was looking for. Uh, as he began to explain the gospel and who the creator God was, these people lit up. And they said, he's talking about, what's his name? Thinker G. G. 
Somebody help me pronounce this weird name. <laughs> Basically, they're, they're talking about this. Well, since this Lars was, um, had now mastered their language, uh, he, he could understand what the translation was. And the translation is this. Thanker means genuine, and G means God. Thank, thanker G, the genuine God. So here these people had been wondering if this, our genuine God, had remembered them because they, they felt like they had lost uh, this. So clearly, um, Lars was not introducing a new concept by talking about the one supreme God. The sentinel sages politely brushed aside the terminology that he had been using for God and instead replaced God, creator God, God of the Bible with thanky G, the genuine God. And then he told him, our forefathers knew long ago um, very well uh, um, about the genuine God and the God that we had forgotten. Uh, he said, Second question, since you know all about Thanky G, why don't you worship him instead of the sun God? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Uh, the sentinels' faces around him grew wistful that they responded, it's the bad news. Is, is the bad news. The sentinel sage named some other God and said, let me tell you our story from the very beginning. The entire gathering of the young people fell silent as this uh, sage and elder began to tell them the story. Long ago, Thinker Jew, or the genuine G, the genuine God, created the first man. Now listen to this. So he begins telling Lars their story. He said, the genuine God created the first man, and his name was Harem. It's really close, isn't it? And the first woman... Ayo, pretty close too, and placed them far to the west of India in a region called Hirahiri Pipipi or something. That's not close. <laughs> there being, uh, there being tempted, there them being named Lita, tempted them to make rice beer. Then Lita enticed them to pour part of the beer on the ground as an offering. Harem and Ayo became drunk on the rest of the beer and slept. And when they awoke, they knew they were naked and felt ashamed. Isn't that close? Anybody ever played a telephone game? You ever played a telephone game? Uh, we, we used to play it in junior church to, to show, I guess this for example, and I think some of them kids would like change it on purpose, little punks. But there was more. Ayo later bore Harem seven sons and seven daughters who married and found, founded seven clans. The clans migrated to regions called Karoja, Harem, and they became corrupt. Thinku Jew, or the genuine God, uh, called mankind to return to him. When man refused, the genuine God uh, hid a holy pair, P-A-I-R, holy pair, in a cave in Mount, listen to this, Herata. Well, what does that sound like? 
error in. So God hid a holy pair, not a, not a pair that you eat, a holy couple, in a mountain called Herat. H-A-R-A-T-A, Herat. Then the genuine God destroyed the rest of mankind with a flood. Uh, later, descendants of the holy pair multiplied and migrated uh, to the plains called Sesen Belda. And there the genuine God divided them into many different people. Isn't that interesting? This is this, is this people that have been kind of secluded and their language has been a barrier. Um, this guy learns their language and tells them about God. And then they begin to tell him the story of the genuine God and is <laughs> remarkably close. Uh, the branch of mankind which uh, migrated first oh these names and Jarpy land and then continued eastward from east forest to forest until the high mountains blocked their way. Desperately they sought a way through the mountains but every route provided an impass impassable and at least to their women and children, not unlike the children of Israel and Mount Sinai. And the people became faint in their journey. And in those days, that people uh, and the proto-Santinal descendants of the holy pair still acknowledge genuine God. Facing crisis, they lost their faith in Him, and they took their first steps into spiritualism. The spirits of these great mountains have blocked our way. They decided, come let us bind ourselves to them with an oath so that they let us pass and they can, uh, they can, they convened with Maran Buru, the spirit of the great mountains, and saying, oh Maran Buru, if you release the pass from us, we will practice, uh, we will participate in basically your ritualistic and so on and so forth. So <clears throat> they, um, they had acknowledged that, and, and it goes on in detail, and he describes this, this sage or this priest or chief or councilman or elder described to them how they basically get their morality was because of what they knew from the genuine God. is how they knew how to treat one another and how to get their laws and so on and so forth. And, and so basically they got their morality from that. And we notice here in Romans, I'll read it for you real quick, Romans chapter number 2, verses 4. 14 and 15, uh, Apostle Paul writes, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things containing the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts and their conscience, also bearing witness and their thoughts, and the meanwhile uh, accusing uh, or else accusing them of one another. So basically, um, that's, that's, you know, if you study apologetics, that's one of the uh, standpoints that we use for an atheist. How do we know that it's wrong to murder and kill? How do we know that it's wrong to steal? You know, there's not a people group around the world that knows that that's acceptable to break into somebody's tent and to, to steal something. Um, our conscience, our morality, our... Our convictions have to come from God. And, and that wasn't part of these people's story, if you read down here with all these names and so on and so forth, that they knew that they, they gained that from the genuine and original God. And they also knew 
and they knew that it was wrong that their forefathers had forsaken that original God. And they wanted to get back to him, but they didn't know how. And here this missionary, Norwegian, comes to their country, learns their language, and tells them the gospel about God and about Jesus Christ, his son, and their eyes are just open to it. Why? Because they were already prepared. They, they had already, God had already preserved enough nuggets of truth um, to uh, give these people the gospel. And, of course, the, the book goes on to tell and describe um, about the, the pronunciation. Um, so, something must be wrong. <laughs> what is going on? Because these missionaries are now reporting back. As the... Where are we at? Something must be wrong. Some Europeans exclaim, something that is impossible... The heathen who have lived in darkness for so long could know enough about God and the way of salvation to be both converted and baptized uh, so soon. Can you imagine being this missionary? He's like sending letters and reports back to, to Norway and his supporting churches. Uh, like so many missionary letters are, uh, I'm, real, I'm getting to know the people. These people are in need of the gospel. I'm just, I'm making this up. These people are in need of the gospel. Uh, they are impoverished people, they're a poor people, uh, learning the language is going well. That would be like January's missionary letter. Uh, February's letter would say something like, really getting a grasp on the language, getting to know the people, uh, people from other tribes are coming to meet me. March's letter, led my first person to the Christ today goes on how people are still coming to listen to him and, and how friendly the people are to him. April's letter had 35 baptized today that, it had, that I won to Christ last week. Uh, what's next? May? Are we at May already? Oh, it would be nice if we were at May already. <clears throat> May's letter, revival has broken out. 565 people have been won to Christ and had a baptism service this Sunday. What? People reading these letters be like, what? Uh, even the claims of eight baptisms a day would have been boggling the minds of the European clerics, most of whom would have considered the average of one baptism per week as proof of the blessings of God was mighty in their ministry. Eighty baptisms a day, however? Whoa, almost unbelievable. <clears throat> We're growing more than 500 times as fast as churches in most Christian Europe. Christians who had long um, uh, protested that missions to Asia would only provide futile would only be provide would provide futile because Asians were so set in their ways and couldn't understand the gospel. In any case, were sadly rocked back on their heels. So Lars and What's his name? Lars and Hans. Uh, whenever they returned to Europe to lecture in churches, were constantly hailed as heroes of the faith by thousands and rank and file of Christians who, learning that the sentinel breakthrough come from miles around to hear the two men give report and testimony of the people group that they had so close become friends with in Bangladesh. Um, Meanwhile, back in the Sentinel frontier uh, next to India, the Sentinel Christians continued manifesting Christian character, uh, proved 
metal and bravely taking the gospel still further among their own people. So now uh, th these missionaries aren't doing the work. The people are saved and excited, and they're telling their friends and family and, and so on and so forth. Uh, Lars himself counted 15,000 baptisms during the years in India himself. 50, he had performed 15,000 baptisms himself. During that time, he also translated much of the Bible into the sentinel language, compiled a, a sentinel grammar and dictionary, recorded numerous traditions for pros prosperity, and consummated the colonial government to pass laws protecting the sentinel minorities from loose, ruthless exploitation from their Hindu neighbors. Overwhelmed by the size of the harvest they had triggered, Lars and Hans... Uh, and their wives sent out a help for cry to other missionaries, and they rushed in to help the reap and the fast reaping harvest. And within a few more years, still another 85,000 believers were baptized. And by that time, other Baptist groups, here we are, we're getting in on it, had rushed into the stake, their claims along the sentinel, accounting for several tens of thousands more converts in this people group. This the sentinel story is just one of hundreds of cases in history which entire peoples of non-Christian worlds demonstrated far greater uh, enthusiasm in receiving the gospel than Christians have shown from sending them. So there was, there was a need for helpers and a need for work. Uh, da, 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 da. And then it kind of goes on to describe uh, the names and why important in names, and, and that seems to be kind of the theme of this, this uh, uh, Bible, and I found this kind of some extra research today. Guess what these Christians that are being persecuted in Bangladesh today, what do you think, what do you think the, their name for God is? Turkey's, yeah, Jew, G, or whatever it is, the genuine God. It's still the name they use today, and even though they have a Bible and they know that Nowhere in the Bible that's God's genuine name and so on and so forth. And then it, then it goes on to, to make this uh, allocate, uh, illustration, which is kind of funny. Um, basically, it is the wrong name for the right God, but who cares? Like, there's a box on this. This probably won't work. We didn't buy these, so it won't work. What are these called? Kleenex. These are Kleenexes. <laughs> so basically, it's it's that it's it's Kleenex was the originator, and if you're like us and you buy them at the dollar store, they're like facial tissues or something. We call them Kleenexes, don't we? Uh, just like uh, if you've got a yellow skid steer, what does everybody call it? A bobcat. <laughs> it's not a bobcat. Skid steer. I always thought that was kind of funny. My friends, they they had caterpillars. Well, I'm going to go get the skid steer. I'm like, just, just call it a bobcat. You're going home to get the bobcat. <laughs> but it's kind of it's kind of along that lines of whatever whatever you know it as first, whether it's correct or not, it doesn't always end up that that's the name, just like Kleenexes or bobcat uh, or, or whatever. And why is that so important? What does the Bible say about that? Yeah, why? Oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, very good, very good. Magnify my word above my name. Good. 
What's your question? That, you, that, that, that calls for a question. What's your question? <laughs> One percent. Well, I, I don't know the statistics back then, but but when we talk about one percent of what are they called, Bangladeshis, Bang, Bengalis, very good, Bengalis. You should have known that. You like Thai, <laughs> yeah. But but because of the work that these men, and this chapter goes on to say that um, that he could have really just went in there and blown them out of the water. Like basically, think about the mindset that this missionary had. They could have said, oh yeah, that's Thurka, Thurka G. No, that's not his name. That's, that's not how you pronounce his name. He gets upset if you mispronounce his name. You have to pronounce his name this way. If you don't pronounce his name this way, then you're not even saved. There, there's, there's religions that have that doctrine today. <clears throat> they they would they would say because we just say God or Lord or whatever that we're oh God doesn't even like us because we're not calling him by name. But this guy had enough uh, wisdom about him to say, okay, if that's what you want to call God, then that's fine. The genuine God. I mean, hey, it's pretty fitting, isn't it? Pretty pretty fitting. Genuine God. Yeah, like, yep, he's the first. He's the first and the last. He's the one and the only. So um but because he went in there with that attitude and and uh um, didn't didn't throw them off and, and didn't uh, go on and say, no, that's not how you pronounce God. And it's a similar story to the oh, El Elron, which is what uh, Melchizedek called the Almighty God, and and so on and so forth. So, <clears throat> but do you know how? And I think this chapter even t took it like this. Yeah, here's an interesting sideline of this because we're 11% uh, of this world of this country's population is Hindus. Hindus anticipate what they call the tenth incarnate of Vishnu. I think that's actually I've heard of that Vishnu. A young missionary in India uh, gained the attention of Hindus, describing the proclamation of Jesus Christ as simply that: the tenth incarnation of Vishnu. Surely he must have had his tongue in both cheeks at the same time when he said it. Conservative theologians justly wave their arms like umpires and cry foul against such compromising approach to cross-cultural communication. They should not, however, with the next breath argue from one such instance, the viewpoint of other cultures is basically irrelevant when one approaches those cultures with the gospel. The sort of... Deduction of example of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The facts remain that the Hindu belief and possibility of deity becoming incarnate among men make us, make us Christians more understandable to them when we talk to Hindus about the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. They already have an understanding of a God becoming incarnate as man. So where, where did they get that from? They got that from prophecies from the past, right after the flood. <clears throat> so, uh, likewise, a, a Buddhist, which this country is 1% that we're talking about Buddhists, likewise anticipate the fifth manifestation of Buddha. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that. But basically, the Lord of mercy. 
It would be both wrong and futile to reduce the one incarnate Son of God as to merely the fifth manifestation of anyone. Yet Buddha's acknowledgement that man needs mercy administered by a power far beyond himself remains a point of contact to the Buddhist people. See, some people would say, well, you can't just say that Jesus is one of, you know, this, that, and the other, is just one of their gods. Well, is Jesus just one God to them when they worship all these other gods? To them, he's just one God until they understand and they realize that Jesus is the capital G God. So, you know, it, it goes on to say that we, you know, who knows, we, somebody in here might become a missionary to the Bangladeshi people or Myanmar or India or wherever, Nepal. Um, because basically, we, I, I think what the point is getting at is that we have to be careful when we're talking to certain people um, that have different beliefs than us. Now, we can't take that too far like our good, our ex-friend Paul Harvey when he says God goes by many different names, including Allah, because we know that those are two significantly different people. And, and this chapter goes on, if I could find that paragraph. Hmm. Somewhere in here. I didn't, didn't mark. Oh, it's true, of course, falsehood distortions of spiritual counterfeits in the world that it is possible for bearers of the gospel to get sidetracked by them and is impossible for the uh, bee buzzing. Nope, that's not it. So, anyway, we, we have to keep that in mind as well that, you know, <clears throat> to these people, um, God is, what is it? The genuine God. To the people on Mars Hill, God is the unknown God. To the people in uh, Melchizedek's day, he was Almighty God. So, same person, just different names. Um, and they acknowledged, even this people acknowledged that the, the God of the mountain was a created God. Just like the Incas, when they acknowledged that the sun that they worshipped was a created God. So that kind of seems to be the, the, the theme behind this book. Yeah, there are other gods. I, I think we, we all understand that and we all know that. <clears throat> Allah is a God, but he's not the creator God. Uh, they all have that theme, Almighty God, which, which kind of insinuates what? Almighty, that's the, the head, the genuine God, the God that created everything. Um, I can't remember the Incas last week. What did they call God? Uh, what is it? I can't remember if they didn't know the name or not. Too many... This book is really hard to read with all these names in it. They didn't. No, that's a couple weeks back. That was the first week. But I, I do find that interesting that throughout all these people, and we're not even we're not even halfway through it yet. But through each one of these uh, people groups, God has left us left Himself without a witness, like we looked at last week, Acts chapter number. Uh, 14 and 16, God left himself not without a witness. And uh, <clears throat> when they came across... Now, now you, you know Nepal. Has anybody ever been to uh, 
Maybe that's not King's Island. That's Disney World, isn't it? Anybody been to Disney World? We all been to the, have we have we given them all our money? <clears throat> you know the ride, the the abominable snowman ride. That's Nepal, the Tibet, Tibet, Nepal. Uh, that is a very mountainous territory, area and region. Like it's it's worse than uh, the Dahmer party out in in uh, Colorado. I mean, it is some treacherous treacherous mountains. And for those people to realize that they came across the mountains and that's when they forsook God. I mean, that's, that's saying something to keep that in their language and their tradition. For all of those years, these indigenous Indian, Indian people to, uh, to keep that with them. To know that there's something better, but to know that their forefathers forsook him. And because they forsook him, they thought that this God had forgotten them. And as soon as this missionary started talking about the genuine God, that was the, the chief's first remark. He has not forgotten about us after all this time. Do you kind of know how exciting that would be? Like to know there's something there and to realize that you've forsaken him, but he hadn't forgot about you. Kind of make, makes me feel good. Like he hadn't, he hadn't forgot about me. He, he remembered me, little old me, and that's how this chief felt. Like, oh, tell us more. You know about him. Tell us about this God that we have have forsaken so long ago. So, and just put this guy in the in the right place at the right time. So, I'm giving credit to the 1% of Christians that are in that Bangladesh. I'm giving that missionary, Har, Har, uh, Lars and Hans, credit for going over there and, and telling these people about the gospel because they didn't have it before. And today, right now, Current events, the, these Christian people are being pushed out of their homes, being pushed out of their territory, and uh, their homes are being burnt, which they don't look like great homes. They're basically grass shacks, and uh, they're, they're being run out of them currently today uh, by the government. So and just kind of another reminder, th this country that we don't even think about, Bangladesh, this 1% of Christians living over there are being persecuted today by Muslims and uh, uh, by Muslims in their own country, the Indian Indians. And, and if I hadn't looked at it this week, I'd have never heard about it. So how many other countries is that going on around the world and we don't even hear about it? We don't even realize what's going on and, and so on and so forth. The, the Buddhists in that country aren't being persecuted or, or the Hindus, just this sentinel, sentinel group and uh, the starts with a C and an H, Chasm, which is another Christian uh, indigenous people over in that, that part of the world. They're, they're running them both out. They're basically bouncing them back and forth between trying to run them out of Bangladesh and over to Myanmar, and Myanmar has a civil war going on, so they've got... <clears throat> that's the other crazy thing. They have immigrants coming over and taking their land. They have, they have Muslim immigrants coming into their country and taking these Christians the ones that rightfully belong there laying from them. Crazy. Any thoughts, questions, comments? This one was a little tougher because of the 